Thank you, Ruthie. Need to be reminded not to invite you back again. Basically, preach my sermon. It's all right. Get it twice this morning. We're in Psalm 19, so uh, if you would turn, turn there. Psalm 19 is written by David. I'm going to read it in its entirety. Page 578, if you're using the Bible in your pew. <clears throat> the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man run it, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can, can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable or pleasing. In your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray once more together as we begin. Lord, this is a great prayer for us this morning. The words of my mouth, meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you as we dive into your holy and righteous and good scriptures. Holy Spirit, reveal them to us in a way that the gospel brings light to our eyes and rejoices the heart. In Jesus' name, amen. James Smith wrote an interesting book uh, called Desiring the Kingdom. In it, he acknowledges what many philosophers and uh, theologians through the years have acknowledged that all people throughout all generations are inherently religious. We are all governed and controlled by what we believe will bring us most happiness in life, what will satisfy our soul. And he illustrates this by asking us to, asking his readers to imagine we're a Martian anthropologist coming to examine the Western world's rituals and religious habits. You zoom in to one of the most religious institutions, which happens not to be a church, but rather a uh, shopping mall. While some religions are offering salvation through laws 
and doctrines with books written thousands of years ago. This religion has colorful, embodied pictures of what the redeemed look like. Who has this new gadget, who is wearing this new style. Inviting us, all who are there, to imagine themselves redeemed, walking in their shoes as well. Can you envision yourself there? Or somewhere like it? I think we can, especially here in Orlando. Smith says that there are statutes and icons everywhere that embody for us concrete images of what he calls the good life. We can't enter a mall or turn on the TV or even drive down the road without being evangelized with an appeal to our deepest desires to share in what they preach to us as the good life. Come and be redeemed. David makes clear here in Psalm 19 that this pursuit of this good life is actually not a bad thing. It, those desires to be happy and be there are not part of our fallen nature. See, what happens in the fall, what happened to us in the fall of man, is that, that rather we become convinced that we, we can find that good life ultimately in something or someone other than God. In our jobs, in being popular at school, or being recognized, promoted, and finally finding a spouse, or finally having a spouse that doesn't criticize you or and being comfortable and being entertained and finding bigger and better houses and cars and cooler gadgets. Whatever your heart, it's the truth of life, whatever your heart sets out to enjoy most in life, it becomes your God. All people are truly religious. Jesus said it like this, your treasure is... Uh, wherever your treasure is, it governs and controls your heart, your emotions, your time, your money. And all of us, to some degree, have allowed the culture's treasures to reach deeply down into our hearts. And with David, we can relate when he says, who can discern our hidden faults? As we confessed in the confession of sin. Who, who can discern the, the errors of how we have given our hearts to some of these worldly treasures? To some degree, all of us need what he says in in verse 7. We need our souls to be revived and brought back to be turned. And David presents to us an offer here in Psalm 19 to open our eyes, to see and savor a God who is better and bigger than anything or anyone else in life, to enjoy him above all else. So I just want to present three ways that we can enjoy God through this psalm that David offers us. Enjoy God by observing the skies, by obeying the scriptures, by trusting the Son, our Redeemer. Observing the skies, obeying the scriptures, trusting the Son, our Redeemer. So let's look first how we can enjoy God by observing the skies. You know, David um, lived around 1000 B.C. before Christ, and he was a shepherd. Of sheep, so he he spent many nights out camping out, like some of the youth did this weekend, underneath the skies. He had lots of time observing the the creation around him, the sun, the moon, the stars. It's as if in the psalm, as he gazed at them, that they were putting on a joyful worship service. 
The skies became to him what Charles Spurgeon said, as God's traveling preachers, declaring and pointing, as Ruthie pointed out, with absolute certainty to the glory of God. He admits in verse 2 and 3 that they don't use words, and we get this, right? How creation does this. We've stood before a, a glorious sunrise or sunset, right? Can you imagine the last time you did that on a beach? Maybe a storm like yesterday. Uh, we watched for about 20 minutes as it rolled in to our house. It was beautiful. Maybe a waterfall in the woods. And we're drawn into staring at these things in nature as if they are speaking to us. They don't use words. We're compelled to take pictures of them. And as Ruthie said, to put them on Instagram. But then we're later disappointed. Because it seems it seems the pictures just don't, they don't speak to us like the, the moment, the experience we had when we're standing before them. David said in verse 2 that they are, even though they don't use words, they're constantly pouring out speech. They're bubbling, bubbling out like a geyser. On Friday, I was, um, we, were, we were looking at this psalm in my men's group, and um, one of the guys, Eli Brainerd, is a biology professor in our group, and, and uh, you know, we were talking about the glory of creation and him being a biologist. He, we just kind of all looked at him, and he just started bubbling forth uh, like a geyser, um, all about a leaf. You know, he's like, let me, let me, let me just, let me tell you about a leaf. You know, he starts talking about chemical reactions, thousands of chemical reactions that happen in a leaf every second, and how cells do this, and there's things within a cell that do this, and it creates energy. And I think he used the word photosynthesis somewhere in there, and we're like, whoa, <laughs> all that in a leaf. And I was like, you know, as a kid, I used to take them and pop them. I mean, I don't, I don't know. That's kind of neat. Um, <laughs> so we all were like, you know, just pretty odd we we i'll tell you what it did it was like he was pouring out speech of the glory of god through just talking about a little leaf verse five and six david zooms into the sun and he says it does exactly what its creator created it to do in the morning it rises and completes its path at the night almost with a playful obedience like a, like a groom on his wedding day, busting out of his room, saying, I cannot wait to see my bride. Like a good professional athlete, feeling the joy in what he was created, doing exactly what he was created to do, David says. The sun is speaking. As it's light, as it lights and it heats all things and it's all-encompassing daily path, it shows us the extent and penetration of God's sovereign rule over all things. We might ponder. The stars are preaching to us with our massive telescopes that we still can't find the end of it all. God is vast and infinite. He's immeasurable. He's sovereign over all. And listen, our, our souls were meant to observe and stare and be caught up into the glory of it all. The, glory, the God who created all these things with mere words from nothing is as the theologian Jonathan Edwards famously said, this God is our highest good, the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. And the enjoyment of Him is our proper. You hear that? 
The enjoyment of God is our proper. We are created to slow down and observe the skies and worship this God. Let's get honest, though. We don't quite do this as we should. We don't often think this way. We're driving home on 417 on um, on Wednesday, and there's this amazing uh, sunset, and the sun had just gone down. There's this cloud blocking it, and uh, four symmetrical rays were coming out of it. You may have seen it on Wednesday. We stopped and oohed and awed for about two minutes and snapped several pictures. And then we returned to talk on our subject, which is the most insignificant (laughs) subject. And it was lost. It was gone. We're no longer wired to observe the skies and listen to their preaching. Let Let it move us to worship as we were created. Romans 1 kind of gives us a picture of why this is. We naturally suppress the revelation of God, his attributes that should be clearly seen in nature. Clyde Kilby, a professor at Wheaton College, gave this reason. The fall of man can hardly be more forcefully felt than simply in noting what we all do with fresh snowfall or the first, first buds of spring. On Monday, they fill us with delight and meaning. And on Tuesday, we ignore them. No amount of shouting to us that this is all wrong changes the fact for very long. It's because we are fallen creatures that we don't slow down more and enjoy God through observing the skies. We're so quick to be captivated by the newest technology or TV show or recreation in our day. And and don't get me wrong, I love my iPhone. Right? But it's amazing to me that we're, I'm so captivated by this little piece of technology and it takes like two or three years and we're like, eh. It's lost its glory. I mean, it's just gone. We need a new one. In two or three years, we need another one. And that TV show that was awesome in a year or two is gone and it's, we need another one. And everything else but God is like this. It's here and it's glorious for a second and then eh. It's gone. Jonathan Edwards says, all earthly enjoyments are but shadows. The enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. To observe and enjoy any created thing without leading us to worship the Creator, it really is, like Ruthie mentioned, it's like, it's like it's like becoming the dog that stares at the finger when you're pointing to the chunk of lasagna that just fell off your plate. The dog is more interested in staring and then sniffing your finger than the lasagna because he just, he just doesn't have eyes to see what's good for him and what it's really pointing to. If you aren't a believer here this morning, maybe you don't buy into the, that God created all things, I want to encourage you. There's so much more than what you really see. And, and I encourage you not to simply stare at the drops. Not to be captivated by the shadows. And stare through them. All of us to, to slow down and open our eyes at least once a day. Observe something. Like the skies or a beautiful sunset. A flower or a tree. A bird or insect. A leaf. Or spider web. Let them preach as they do, but the glory of God and let it lead us 
to worship. That's observing the skies. David now transfers his thoughts from the skies to the scriptures. Both of them, he says, reveal the glory of God. But now he gets more personal. He says, it's it's, it's much like... um, it's much like uh, you who are single or when we were single. It's like observing that guy or girl from kind of afar. You hadn't really talked to them, but you find them attractive. You kind of observe them. You want to get to know them. You find them, you know, something drawing you in. And then all of a sudden you get to talk to them, that first conversation. You get to sit down with them. Now they're words. Personal conversation. And your enjoyment of the person now goes through the roof. And this is how it is. As God has spoken to us, and we can enjoy God by observing and obeying his scriptures. Point number two. Now let me admit, before I even get started on this point, how far I really fall short of this. As I've thought about this passage and I've studied it, I've been focusing on, just verse 10 really caught me. If you look at verse 10, it says, More to be desired, talking about the scriptures, are they than gold, much fine gold. Owning half of Apple's stock. <laughs> Sweeter are the scriptures than honey. I was thinking about this when I was meeting with somebody on um, Friday morning at Panera Bread. I was, uh, he was purchasing, I think, some coffee or something. And I was staring through the glass. You know, the only thing that kind of separates you from those delicious, you know, little ice topping top pastries. Right? That's what we call desserts that we want to eat for breakfast. Or snack or something like that, you know, pastries. So, um, but you know, I, I thought about as I as I skim them and I focus my eyes on what I love most, which is a little cinnamon roll. Not it's not little at all, is it? Um, it's half a meal. And then and I imagine like what it would be like if they took like a little Bible and placed it in the case, you know, and you're skimming around and people are like, oh, you know, drooling, and all of a sudden there's a Bible uh, with all its commands and laws and promises. I don't know if I find it sweeter than honey or a cinnamon roll. And I'm quite convicted as I compare how sweet I find many other things than I do the scriptures. So admit that as I begin this point. So what is it David, how is it that David finds the scriptures so sweet and how do they lead us to enjoy God is my question. He tells us a few things about the scriptures hopefully that will move us towards that. Number one, that they are of the Lord, starting in verse 7 through 9. Six times God's law, His testimonies, precepts, commandments, rules are of the Lord. It's a reminder, this is not the law of man. This comes from the one who is perfect and good. He is wiser than your counselor or psychologist. He knows you better than any family member or good friend. He is the one who is happier and knows better how to satisfy your soul and the desires of your heart more than anyone else. The first point is that the scriptures are of the Lord, these laws. Number two, the scriptures show us how to live well. They show us how to live well. We live in a world searching desperately for what we introduced as the good life in the introduction. How to live well. But the problem is our postmodern culture has convinced so many that this good life comes from being freed from laws. 
freed from the the rules. The key to living well, they would say, is being freed from all moral authority. Free to do what you really want to do. You can see this all over the place in our culture. Including the recent Supreme Court decision. But think about this. Think about a fish. This fish says, I want to be free. I'm going to buck all the, the laws imposed upon him. I want to decide what's best for me. I feel constrained by this water, and so I'm going to go and decide to live on the land. It's not the good life. It won't go well with him. Imagine a penguin wanting to be free and do what he wants to. I want to go live in a desert. There's laws imposed on him. They won't lead him to the good life. There are laws from their creator that act as a blueprint on their lives for their good. And this is what David is saying in verse 7 through 9 as he says, The law of the Lord is, is perfect. It's without flaw. His testimonies are sure. It's like a foundation for your life. His precepts are right. It's like a plumb line that you that can that, that directs that you line up everything else in your life with. His commandments are pure. His rules are true. These are a perfect blueprint for the good life and showing us how to how we were created to live well. We see this illustrated back when God introduced His law. I love Deuteronomy for this reason. After God delivered His people from Egypt, He brings them finally to the to the promised land, they're on the edge, they're fixing to go in, and he starts reminding them, I want to remind you, it's important to obey my commandments, to be holy as I've made you, to be holy as I am holy. How do you picture God saying that to you, if you were there, or even now? Do you picture him like, you know, like your, like your grandmother told you to avoid the, you know, cookies? Don't, don't get the cookies. <laughs> you know, kind of with squinty eyes, God, I want you to obey. If so, you're missing it. Because eight times at least in Deuteronomy, almost all the times he mentions, I want you to obey, he says exactly this, obey, so that it may go well with you. Over and over. Because I want you, you can almost picture him, because I want it to go well with you. This is what the good life is going to look like in Canaan, in the promised land. It, it's very similar to how we parent, right? When I say Canaan, my two-and-a-half-year-old, uh, do not do a backflip off the chair onto the tile. Uh, it won't go well with you. Now, he disobeyed that last week. <laughs> it did not go well with him. And check out his forehead on the way out. Um, I mean, it's the same thing we're saying, right? I mean, we do this all the time. We say things like, you know, be kind to your sister. Uh, um, you know, uh, be respectful of adults and be... Be friendly to, to your friends. Be kind to them. Because it will go well with you. I'm trying to show you how to live well. Holy and happy is the language we use around our house. We want you to be holy and happy. That's what uh, Ephesians 6, 2 says. Children, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. What? So that it may go well with you. Look at the benefits offered to us if we will give ourselves to enjoying God through this studying and obeying His law. Verse 7 through 8. It, it will revive your soul. It will rejoice your heart. You know what the soul is in the Bible? It's your inner self. It's your identity. 
You ever feel like you, you don't quite know who you are? You do things you don't want to do. You're, you're insecure around others. You feel like your identity is incomplete. The Bible says all of us have identity issues. Our soul, our inner self needs to be revived. It's not what it sh- was meant to be. And God says, come, have your soul revived and your heart made happy by giving yourself to study and obey Obeying my law through the scriptures. It will make you wise. It will enlighten your eyes. You know what he's saying there? He's saying it'll show you exactly how you were created to live in this life. It's a good life. Verse 11 sums it up. In keeping them, not just knowing them in your head, but in keeping them, there is great reward. Now, you may be saying, and I almost hope you're saying, I don't normally think of the law of God as something reviving the soul, rejoicing my heart. You know, for me, when I was first studying this, it, this is another uh, verse that, you know, stopped me and started, I started pondering. The law really revives my soul. Uh, I, I normally think of the gospel reviving my soul. God's kindness, his promises, his generosity, his mercy, rejoicing my heart. But the law, you know, rarely do I um, come and tell the kids, you know, okay, uh, I give them a commandment, you know, it's time to go to bed. And my four-year-old look up and say, Dad, thank you so much. Like, I am so refreshed and alive now that you've given me that commandment. It's so well with me, it'll go well. You know, I think that happened once like a year ago. (laughs) Not that, but they actually went to bed on time. If you really dive, if we dive into the law, the commandments of God, they will overwhelm us. When you start pondering really what Jesus says, you know, I'm I'm not talking about murder. I'm talking about when's the last time you got angry with somebody? And if that isn't dealt with, Jesus says in the right way, even that will send us to hell. I'm not talking about adultery. I'm talking about the last thought you had towards someone that was improper, that wasn't your spouse or is not your spouse. Lust deserves hell, he says. And if we looked beneath the iceberg, beneath the ocean into our hearts, we would see massive amounts of pride and selfishness. If I could unveil it for you today. Bitterness and not loving hard people like I am called to love. The law, if we see it right, it will crush us. And here's the truth of life. If, if you set out to gaze into the law of the Lord, the more you do that, the more the law of the Lord will gaze into you and into your heart. And it will show you, show you what your heart is really like before a holy and just God. Our apathy to really enjoying Him, observing the skies, our indifference towards the Scriptures, our lack of, of worthiness to receive any good life from our Creator. And no doubt, many of us feel that this morning as we even came into church. Some of us come feeling church is such a burden. Sure, we sing some good songs, but I'm going to feel the, the gaze of God into my life. And I know I've failed this week. And I know I have not obeyed fully the commandments of God. I'm not good. If so, 
want to encourage you that you're in good company with David himself, right? The third thing David shows us about the scriptures is show us our need for a savior. Because as David pondered the scriptures, he's, he also pondered his lack of keeping God's law. That, that's all what verse 12 and 13 says, which was our confession of sin. I, I cannot discern my errors. I'm full of hidden faults. I, I'm capable of presumptuous sins. You know what presumptuous sin is? It's that thing that you did probably in the last couple of weeks that you knew. It's not the hidden fault. It's a thing that you knew you probably shouldn't have done. And you went on and did it anyway. And David and I and you are capable of doing these all the time. And these things are what he says. They're capable of taking dominion over our lives and controlling us. And some of us are being controlled by some of those things that capture our hearts that are not God. But this is where Christianity differs from all other religions, doesn't it? All religions say something like this. God gives the good life to those who first obey the law. God loves and blesses good people. Those who are without hidden faults. Those who never commit presumptuous sins. The good news that David starts pondering here is that this is, this is not Christianity. This is not the role of the law. And it's deadly to miss this. Because you will never come to know and really enjoy God. Sure, you could, you'll play the game called Christianity. You'll come to church. You may come to church all your life. You may even read the Bible and mark it up. But you will never really enjoy God. Until you really understand the role of the law of God. Let me illustrate it like this. Um, antifreeze is, um, is pretty important for our vehicles, right? It keeps, us, keeps it from freezing up in the winter, which we absolutely have no problem with here in Florida. So forget that part of it. But it also keeps your car from overheating in the summer. That's pretty crucial for us here. You might say that antifreeze is pretty life-giving. It kind of revives the soul of your car, keeps it going. Without it, it's going to overheat and die. Now, antifreeze, you may not know this, it's also pretty sweet to the taste. Okay? Now, if you decide to use antifreeze one day, instead of putting it in your car to keep it from overheating, you take it and you put it in a glass and drink it instead of lemonade, you will die. Things will not go well with you. The law of the Lord is perfect. Period. But if if its role in your life is to prop you up and to make you justified before God, to make you feel like you're deserving a good life, then to earn his love and approval, then it will kill you. Moralism will kill you just as fast as materialism. And Jesus made that plainly clear to the Pharisees of his day. Both will kill your soul Both will make you foolish. They will steal your heart's joy. They will sap you of life. And ever since Adam ate the fruit, we are capable of of trying to keep the law in order to earn the good life. If you gaze truly into the law of the Lord, it will gaze into you and it will reveal what your heart is like before a holy and glorious God. You will see your hidden faults your deep errors, and they will show you that you need a Savior to come and enjoy God. So lastly, let's just look at 
not only need to observe the skies and obey the scriptures, but we also need to trust the Son, our Redeemer. See, at the same time David acknowledged God as glorious sovereign in the universe, the perfect moral authority who knows our deepest, darkest failures and sins, look at verse 13. He also believes that he could be blameless, innocent of it all. Isn't that crazy? Innocent means free from all guilt, free from responsibility from the things he's done. Blameless means complete or perfect. How is this possible? How is it possible for us or for you to leave here knowing that you are a lawbreaker, but you're also innocent? You're blameless. Verse 14 gives the answer. David knew that God was not only a glorious lawgiver, but he's also the covenant Lord, Yahweh, who's drawn near to his people to be his rock and redeemer. David didn't see fully just how God could be just and punish sin justly and to declare him innocent, but we do. We do in the person of God's son who came later for us 2,000 years ago, Jesus. See, look, Hebrews 1 says that Jesus, before he came to earth, he was, the skies are, listen, the skies are glorious because they point, they were made through Jesus, Hebrews 1 says. He is the radiance of God's glory. The fingerprint of Jesus is what you see in every glorious thing in creation. And yet in Galatians 4, it says Jesus was born under the law. And he was able to perfectly obey the law. He fully enjoyed God. His soul was fully revived in all the ways we were meant to. Jesus lived a good life and all things should have gone well with him. Because of that. But that's not what happened, is it? The result of his perfect life of enjoying God and keeping the law was misery. It was punishment. It was experiencing God's displeasure and even his wrath. Why? Because Titus 2.14 says, Jesus gave himself to redeem us, you who believe and trust the Son, from all, unlaw- from all lawlessness and to purify you hear that? Cleanse and purify us from great, from all transgression. Purify people for his own possession, it says. So now to all of us, even this morning, even if you've never done it before, by simply faith alone, you don't have to go out and do anything good. By faith alone, by trusting the Son, our Redeemer, God declares you innocent. He declares you blameless. He, compla- he, he, uh, he says you're complete. You're full, as if you have kept the whole law. And once you know that you cannot be condemned by the law any longer, you can't be judged by it, it sets us free to want to live by it. It invites the law to scrutinize every corner of our lives and says, okay, well, I'm not condemned there. That's okay, go there. Because I want to know what it's like to live the way God created me. I want to live by the plumb line, what is sure and right. Do you see Do you feel your soul revived by that good news? That's the whole purpose of this psalm, to leave here revived by those things, those truths. I want you to see it one last way. In verse 14, David says, May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, which he knows are so imperfect, he says, be acceptable to God. 
You know what that word means? Acceptable. The words of our mouths, the meditations of our heart can actually be acceptable. It means pleasing. NIV, I think, puts it pleasing to you. And here's a powerful truth. It's a powerful truth to realize that with all your failures this week, and maybe in all, you know, as you ponder your whole life, all your failures, your whole life, God can still be pleased with you. He looks on you, not with squinty eyes. He says, I am pleased with you to those who trust in the Son. One of the experiences I, I, I enjoy most in life is when I get home. My kids come around the corner, they hear the door unlock, and they come bolting around the corner. Their life is just, you know, they're just, they're, they're bubbling, and, you know, they're, they're, they're smiling really big, and they're screaming, Daddy, and I'm home, and it didn't always happen, <laughs> of course, but um, it happens a decent amount, and they're just pu- with pure excitement and delight. I remember one time I was traveling, and I was away for a, about a week, and several days into it, I was missing the kids, and I FaceTime with them, and I... Um, I see Avery was small, uh, and she gets on the FaceTime and sees me for the, my face for the first time, and she just, her face just lit up, and she actually started clapping. She's like this, you know, and I, you know, man, if you can experience that, if you if you've had somebody delighting you like that, it's it feel it revives your soul, doesn't it? It rejoices the heart. Listen, if you trust the Son this morning, you leave here knowing this is how God thinks of you. You're not only innocent and blameless, but you are also acceptable and pleasing in his sight. Psalm 19 does not give a picture of a guy staring at an archaic book of dead religion and dry rituals and rules. No, we, we have a beggar before a feast, a buffet. We have a guy before his lover. He's enjoying God as he observes the, the skies, obeying the scriptures, and trusting in the Son, his Redeemer. There's nothing out there, as we go out from here this week, is more glorious. Everywhere else we look for redemption is an imitation of the real thing of what our soul is longing for. There's no other God. There's no other Redeemer. There's no better salvation. Let's trust the Son. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, our Redeemer, that through Him you are pleased with us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that none would leave here without putting their whole hearted faith not in their good works of keeping the law but in the son jesus and from that god i pray you would revive us as we strive to also be zealous to be keeping your law in jesus name amen